it's a pleasure to be here again uh, and see all of you. Um, today, I'm going to talk about um, how we uh, maintain uh, continuous practice. <clears throat> My old teacher, Suzuki Roshi, used to say, um, we're half Buddha and half sentient being. Uh, sometimes the sentient being side doesn't believe that we're Buddha. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, we have a karmic life on one hand and dharmic life on the other hand. So karma and dharma. And uh, karmic life is um, our uh, <clears throat> self-centered life. Uh, life of opportunity and gaining and acquisition and um, uh, a, a life which is somewhat driven by desire and um, uh, <clears throat> um, being uh, led by our um, uh, by ambition and desire and creating um, the conditions for suffering. This is our karmic life. Our dharmic life is <clears throat> the life that's free of um, uh, um, uh, any kind of gaining idea and uh, simply uh, lives in reality, in truth, uh, without... Um, uh, causing uh, suffering for ourselves or others. <clears throat> um, so we have both of these sides. And um, when we come to practice, uh, we um, uh, try to integrate both of those sides so that the karmic side becomes absorbed into the dharmic side. Um, but, you know, most of us live uh, in karma and dharma. And these two are often vying with each other. When I have a desire to do something in a self-centered way, which may cause some problems, um, then my Buddha side says, be careful. You know, Buddha mind says, "Be careful." Uh, and uh, so, Buddha mind is our teacher. <clears throat> As we, um, uh, when we're born, we actually have no, no uh, ego, but ego becomes developed as we uh, ego and uh, self-centeredness becomes developed as we grow older. And then at some point we find ourselves uh, captivated by um, self. And then we look for a way to, uh, to ease our suffering. And then we find the Dharma. The Dharma is already within us. Dharma is not something outside that we find, actually. It's we come home to, to our true self. Uh, that's our dharmic life, actually coming home to our 
original self and abiding uh, in that place. And that original self is what we call our Buddha mind. So, uh, Buddha mind is always there. And maybe you could say Buddha mind is our conscience or is our, um, uh, um, our goal. Uh, when we're settled, we settle in Buddha mind, which is, not, uh, which is the mind which is not desirous of anything, but simply contented and uh, abiding within itself. <clears throat> so, um, uh, uh, we talk about uh, in Buddhism a lot about desire, and if you, when we study the Four Noble Truths, we study that uh, desire is the cause of suffering, inordinate desire. Naturally, our we have the desire to eat, the desire to. Uh, sleep and uh, maintain ourselves and maintain um, our life, which is um, necessary desire. So desire is not bad. It's only what we do with it that's a problem. Without desire, uh, we wouldn't be able to actually sustain ourselves. So desire is very valuable and uh, honorable. (laughs) We should always honor desire. but we should be careful about how we use it or how it uses us. So when we use desire, this is dharma. When we're used by desire, this is karma. Uh, karma, uh, when we um, uh, pursue our desires and grab hold of something and become attached, then desire that, that, that what we desire has us. So uh, we become one with the object, and then we're controlled by uh, the object of desire. So that's called binding. And freedom is to um, let go of the object of desire, to not have attachment. So um, how do we maintain ourselves in uh, uh, the Dharma? so that we have continuous practice of always returning to, to our Buddha mind. Um, when we let go of, when, you know, what we say um, that we have um, a way-seeking mind. Way-seeking mind is the mind that turns from um, karmic activity toward dharmic activity. So it's the mind that pursues the dharma. Uh, so, uh, but there has to be some desire to to pursue the Dharma. So when desire is turned toward um, Dharma as way-seeking mind, it's no longer called desire. It's called way-seeking mind. But desire, of course, is there. It's simply the desire for... Um, Freedom from bondage, from suffering. So how do we maintain that continuous practice? Um, 
they're little devices that we have. What I want, really, this is just a kind of introduction. What I wanted to talk about today is um, uh, the use of gatas. For you who don't, for those of you who don't know what a gata is, gata is, a, is something that we say, and you know, it's a little poem or a little saying or a vow that we use to remind ourselves of what we're doing and to um, keep us um, to to um, uh, reestablish ourselves in the Dharma. <clears throat> uh, uh, so we in Zen practice, um, the monks in the uh, in the monasteries um, have uh, gatas that they say all the time. Depend, like there's a gata for when we eat. There's a gata for when we open the um, sutra or when we um, have a talk. We have a gata. The four, the four bodhisattva vows are a gata. Uh, and um, sometimes when you read the literature, um, what a, an old teacher will say, listen to my gata. And he has a little poem which um, expresses himself. Um, so um, uh, uh, sometimes when we have a meal, an informal meal, um, uh, we have a, a gata which says, um, uh, "Now, as I take food and drink, I vow with all sentient beings to um, uh, take pl- take um, pleasure in the practice of." Zen and to fully enjoy the Dharma. So this orients our mind toward actually enjoying what we're doing, as uh, take pleasure in in the practice. Uh, to remind us that when we uh, do eat, that eating is practice. Uh, when we have a uh, meal, uh, we actually have a long. Um, uh, sutra that we recite before the meal. <clears throat> so eating becomes practice and not just something that we do to, to indulge ourselves, although we love to indulge ourselves with eating. That's human um, nature. <laughs> but for practice, we eat just enough, drink just enough to sustain ourselves. And it... Uh, focuses us on appreciating um, our practice as eating and drinking. As I drink this water, I vow with all sentient beings to... I can just make up a gata, you know, to, to, to um, uh, enjoy the, the, the water that uh, is present in everyone. The... the, 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 the um, uh, element of water that pervades everything. That's pretty nice. So often we say, I vow with all sentient beings. It's a kind of vow. But it includes everyone. So it's not like I'm just doing this for my own practice, but I do it for uh, with everyone. I include everyone in the practice. So, uh, you know, Buddhist practice uh, is practice of being unselfish or uh, not self-centered. 
So when we do something, it's not just as practice, it's not just for our own sake. Karmic life is often doing something for our own sake. Dharmic life is letting go of just doing something for our own sake. So that everything we do as practice is for the sake of all beings. It's not easy, but that's, that's the intention. Thank you for the water. <laughs> um, so there's a gata for when you get up in the morning, a gata for, you know, that you have all during the day. Um, uh, Thich Nhat, there was a time in about 15 years ago when there was um, a lot of interest in these gatas. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a, a little book on uh, gatas from uh, Vietnam, and Aiken Roshi um, wrote a book of gatas, that, of his own gatas, and there was a lot of interest in gatas at that time. And um, uh, so I wanted to um, read you some of those gatas, which you might find interesting. This is Thich Nhat Hanh's book called Present Moment, Wonderful Moment. How to actually uh, reorient yourself to, the mom- to this particular moment, to every moment. So he, there's this gata for washing the hands. He says, um, water flows over these hands. May I use them skillfully to preserve our precious planet. And um, brushing the teeth, um, brushing my teeth and rinsing my mouth, I vow to speak purely and lovingly. When my mouth is fragrant with right speech, a flower blooms in the garden of my heart. He's very poetic. Uh, But there is a um, gata uh, that um, something like, as I brush my teeth, I vow with all sentient beings... Oh, I, I just have to explain this first, that in India, uh, as most of you know, they don't use toothbrushes, they have a twig, and they chew the twig, right? So this gata includes the twig. <laughs> as I brush uh, my teeth, I vow with all sentient beings to chew through uh, all delusions, uh, like as I chew through this toothbrush to this twig, <laughs> And uh, bathing um, is interesting. Unborn and indestructible, beyond time and space, both transmission and inheritance lie in the wonderful nature of the Dharma Dhatu. We have a, um, uh, if you've ever been to Tassajara, when you enter the baths at Tassajara, there's a, a gata at the entrance that we always recite when we, um, before we enter the bath, it says, uh, washing this body, um, I vow with all sentient beings um, to, um, uh, what does it say? I vow with all sentient beings to uh, uh, thoroughly, be thoroughly clean within and without, pure and shining. 
for the sake of all beings. And there's a, a kata for that, that uh, he says, looking at my hand, looking at your hand, a gata for contemplating your hand. Uh, whose hand is this that has never died? Who is it who was born in the past? Who is it that will die in the future? Um, sometimes when I'm in, in uh, sitting down or reading or, and uh, in various light, different kinds of light, I'll look at my hand and it's fascinating to see how the different atmospheres, different lights bring out different qualities in your hand. And as you get older, you notice how your hand changes. <laughs> and then you notice how your body changes. <laughs> and uh, how, you know, we say that every cell in your body uh, completely is renewed every seven years. So it's really a different body than it was seven years ago, even though there's some resemblance to uh, what it was. Uh, and, and to be aware of that change and to uh, 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 follow that change and to realize that your body is changing along with everything else. Uh, I once asked my uh, um, Suzuki Roshi's son, uh, Hoitsu, I said, um, you know, it, people wonder how we don't read much about um, how to take care of dying people uh, in our tradition. I said, how do, you, how do you take care of dying people? In Japan, um, you know, Buddhism is associated with um, funerals. Um, people think of the temples as dark and, and dusty and associated with funerals. Because when you have a society where um, it's uh, so old and um, uh, so many families associated with the temples, there are funerals going on all the time. And so the Buddhists have t learned how to take care of the funerals. And I said, uh, well, how do you take care of people when they're dying? He said, really, just hold their hand. And you just... I said, well, what do you tell them? I tell them that uh, don't worry, everything is going along together with you. As you are uh, leaving this world, everything else is leaving this world with you. So don't worry about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nothing to worry about. Uh, this is just the way that everything is going. Just go with the way everything is going. Uh, because there's nothing else you can do. And then uh, there's the gata for uh, sounding the bell. Um, uh, you know, in our Zen tradition, we use bells quite a bit. And uh, this is a kind of um, Japanese be uh, Buddhist bell. Um, and we have large bells and, and small bells. But, you know, to teach people to ring the bell... We never, we never say, hit the bell. Because it, it, it's not something that you hit. It's something that you bring, the, bring out the voice of the bell. How do you 
coax out the voice of the bell or uh, allow the bell to have a free sound, which is an inspiring sound. So we, you know, we we ring the bell when we bow and we ring the bell quite often, and people often get the idea that it's simply to mark those uh, occurrences. But the first purpose of the bell is to settle your mind, to inspire, to, to make an inspiring sound and to settle the mind in the moment and to allow us to let go of whatever is preoccupying us. <clears throat> so um, he says, body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of the bell. May the hearers awaken from forgetfulness and transcend all anxiety and sorrow. Uh, this, thank you. This should be pasted on the bell, <laughs> so that when the person rings the bell, they should have the intention every single time they ring the bell to be aware of uh, that intention, not just mindlessly doing something. So uh, Aiken Roshi also has some uh, uh, wonderful gatas. Uh, also one about, several about ringing the bell. He says, sounding a bell at the temple, I vow with all beings to ring as true in each moment, mellow, steady, and clear. And then he says, sounding a bell at the temple, I vow with all beings to remember I'm ringing the Dharma for the Sangha of all who can hear. With the sound of the temple bell, I vow with all beings to offer my skull as a bell in the echoing chiliacosms. That's um, interesting. So then here's an interesting gata. Turning for refuge in Dharma, I vow with all beings to oil and sharpen my tools and fashion a home for the Tao. Sharpen my tools. Well, that can mean various things, you know. It can mean sharpening my um, um, skillful means of teaching. But it also can mean taking care of all my object, all the things around me. Um, you know, we have so many things. This is the, our culture of acquisition. And uh, uh, if you were to clear off a table, by the end of the day, in the morning, by the end of the day, there would always be things back on the table. <laughs> right? It's, uh, some cultures have the problem of not having enough, <laughs> but that's not our problem. We have the problem of how to actually order and take care of all the things that we have and stop the flow. The flow is, is tremendous. It's like, I don't know if you remember this, but some years ago, um, there was um, off the shore of New York, there was called the black goo 
that was coming in. It was an accumulation of, of junk that was coming in toward, the, toward New York, and it was advancing. And uh, I don't know what ever happened to it. Somehow it <laughs> didn't materialize. But we do have the garbage scow that could never land anywhere. Do you remember that? The garbage scow that had the, no port would take it in, and it was doomed to <laughs> um, uh, wander forever on the ocean. Maybe still going somewhere. Anyway, but how we take you know how we take care of what we have and, and actually. Uh, honor what we have, and to include uh, all, um, all of our uh, possessions uh, in, a, in a in a dharmic way, because all of our possessions are really not our possessions. Our possessions are something that we um, have. Um, we're caretakers of whatever comes into my dominion domain is are, are things that I take care of but and I call them mine but I have to be careful in a way they are mine Ikan Roshi once said uh, although nothing belongs to me um, this typewriter is something I need and so you can't have it <laughs> sorry <laughs> but even though it's not mine uh, I can't let you have it right now and Suzuki Roshi said, these glasses are, um, thank you for letting me, you know, have these glasses, wear these glasses. I'll, I'll take good care of them for you, you know. And, but uh, for now, uh, I use them. And uh, so they're under my, under my care. So how we take care of uh, objects, how we take care of material things, and how we take care of each other um, is uh, this is dharmic life, and to keep reminding ourselves of this. So these gatas help us to remind ourselves. You can learn a gata, but you know, just to be able to improvise a gata is probably after you after you are used to using a gata, you can improvise uh, uh, like this gatas for driving your car. Uh, gata for washing the dishes. There's a gata for business. At a Zendo meeting for business, I vow with all beings to drop my plan in the hopper and let the process evolve. <laughs> Holding meetings, you know, is, I don't know how many meetings you have, but in my life, I've had uncount, uh, thousands of meetings. And uh, he says, when the meeting gets loud and contentious, this is a, a gata. When the, vow, when the meeting gets loud and contentious, I vow with all beings to hold fast to my breath as a tiller and take each wave as it comes. Uh, as we know, in continuous practice, we keep returning to our breath. Uh, we keep returning to our breath and returning to our posture and returning to our 
the calmness of our mind. And the gata helps us to return to our breath. It re- helps us to return to our posture and to return to the calmness of our mind. Uh, we lead such busy lives. Uh, how do you find the calmness of your life within each activity? If uh, you want to do continuous practice, this is, that's the key. The keynote is to always know where your breath is. Is my breath up here? Is my breath, where's, where, where am I breathing from? At any moment, you should know where you're breathing from. Uh, deep breathing, the raising and lowering of your lower abdomen. When you inhale, your lower abdomen expands. When you exhale, it contracts. When we become anxious or uh, fearful or um, um, unmindful, our breath tends to, to come up to our chest and we find our breathing very shallow. So mindfully to uh, bring the breath down to the lower abdomen and to take the time out of your busyness to bring the breath down to your lower abdomen. And if you are very mindful, you'll be breathing there all the time. So when you have anxiety, the breath doesn't come up. But when you have some uh, fear, the breath doesn't come up. Or if it does, you immediately know that and you bring the breath down to your lower abdomen so that you're centered and calm. And that's the way you can deal with whatever comes up. You say you're going to have a work day this afternoon? Well, here's one for the, for the work day. When I come to the temple on work day, I vow with all beings to take up my hammer and paintbrush as Samantabhadra's sword. You know Samantabhadra? Samantabhadra um, is um, the bodhisattva of practice. We call it the shining practice bodhisattva. Um, the one who goes about practice uh, with a compassionate mind. Who goes about work and practice. It includes... Uh, everything is included in Samantabhadra's uh, practice. Uh, work is practice. Work is not just, in a temple, work is not just work. Work is practice. You let go of your idea of uh, gaining anything. So even though you're trying to accomplish something, uh, at the same time, you're aware of how the body the disposition of the body, the disposition of the breath, the disposition of uh, your um, mind. So when we work together, um, how do we create a harmonious uh, atmosphere while we're working together? How do we take our self-centeredness out of it if someone gets the job you want, 
How do you let go of that? <laughs> if someone says, you wash the toilet, please. Okay. Whatever you're asked to do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful job of washing the toilet. You know, in the monastery, um, we have the head monk called the Shuso for the practice period, three-month practice period. And the, sh- the job of the Shuso is to clean the toilets and, um, uh, t- and take out the garbage. That's the main job of the head monk. Clean the toilets and take out the garbage. So if you get a, a job as honorable as cl- cleaning the toilets, you should feel um, very grateful <laughs> for such an opportunity. So this is dharmic work. Uh, I like to think of it as water. You know, water seeks the lowest place, and is uh, uh, wherever it lands. It doesn't have any shape or form. Water has no particular shape or form, but it takes the shape and the form of whatever it, uh, wherever it settles. Uh, it takes the, the form of a river, or it takes the form of a um, bottle of water. See, it's a bottle of water. It takes the form of blood, pus, urine. It takes the form of uh, ice cubes, glaciers whatever, but it doesn't complain. It just assumes that form in gratitude. It's glad to be water in whatever shape it is. That dharmic life of water. (laughs) So when you're working together, um, uh, every, you know, when I go to, uh, I used to lead practice periods at Tassajara when I was uh, abbot of, Zen, of San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, I would lead uh, practice periods at Tassajara. And when I would, um, my first, whenever uh, we opened the practice period, um, I would give a talk about how everyone has their place in the community. And there are no jobs. There are only practice positions. <clears throat> and a practice position is, can be general labor. It can be a director. It can be um, uh, uh, someone in charge of the kitchen. In the kitchen, you know, everyone has to cooperate. So I talk about um, that everyone has a position. Some positions look high and some positions look low. But actually, there is no high or low. uh, On a vertical level, there's a hierarchy. But on a horizontal level, everyone's the same. If you only have the vertical level, then you have problems of hierarchy. If you only have the horizontal level, you, you have problems of um, uh, 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 inability to operate. Who's who? But both are necessary. 
on the vertical level, everything is in a hierarchy. There's no, you can't get away from it. But on a horizontal level, everybody's the same. So right where those two meet is where um, our practice is. We know that, that even though um, I'm uh, just the lowest person on general labor, if I actually do my position wholeheartedly, I'm controlling the whole thing because you can't leave me out. You can't take the part out. Whatever, all the parts make up the whole. So no matter where you are, if you're doing what your position is, if you're doing it wholeheartedly in cooperation with the whole, uh, then everything runs smoothly. And you are just uh, as, on, uh, your position is just as honored as the director. But people you know, always want to get up. The fastest way to progress is to take the lowest place. That's, a, that's, that's the rule. It, it's not a rule, it's just life. If, if, you, want to, if you want to progress the, the fastest way, just take the lowest place and do, the, do your best. So anyway, um, people working in the kitchen uh, at a place like Tassajara, you know, day after day, five or six people working together, putting out meals, three meals a day and so forth, uh, under c- certain kinds of pressure, have to learn how to cooperate with each other. And they have to let go of their self-centeredness and ego and uh, uh, turn their karmic life toward dharmic life. Sometimes we worry about our condition, you know, about our attachments and whether we're being good or not, you know. Uh, it's hard to be good. And uh, sometimes it's hard to accept ourselves. So uh, when it's hard to accept ourselves, we, sh- we should think, you know, sit back and recite a gata. When I'm worried about my attachments, I vow with all beings to remember interdependence. If I weren't attached, I'd be dead. So we talk about non-attachment, but actually we live in the world where uh, we are attached to things. We're totally interdependent with everything. But um, to actually... um, Uh, interact with everything, uh, letting come what comes and letting go what comes. That's non-attachment. So we have to be able to interact and also to be able to let go. So attachment is when we can't let go. But certainly we have interaction And as long as the interaction has space, and as long as we understand that everything is continually changing, and it's like a dance, 
and things come and things go. That's non-attachment. To totally take up what you have to take up and to totally let go what you have to let go of. That's non-attachment. So of course we're, we are attached. But it's not the same. It's like the, non, the, um, uh, the non-attachment of attachment. Non-attachment within attachment. Uh, this is the, really important. Because sometimes we think, well, I shouldn't be involved because that's attachment. But that's not so. We have to take up response ability and interact with uh, whatever is, uh, comes our way. But at the same time, to move with things because everything is moving toward and moving out. And once we become uh, stagnated in some, in some way and can't see that, uh, then we start suffering. So our life is moving with things and going out. So, but where, we don't know. He says, when I'm worried about my condition, I vow with all beings to recall good and bad our conditions that pollute our clear mountain stream. When I'm worried about my condition, I vow with all beings to rest in my human condition, breathing in, breathing out. Heartbeat. Just to be with what you have. Just vow, ah, this is where I am. It's okay. Wherever we are, it really is okay because that's where we are. That's the only reality there is. Watching my body get older, I vow with all beings to be absolute for dying and rejoice in my family and friends. Facing my imminent death, I vow with all beings to go with the natural process at peace with whatever comes. When someone close to me dies, I vow with all beings to settle in ultimate closeness and continue our dialogue there. When the dentist takes up his drill, I vow with all beings to welcome the pain and discomfort as doors to a steady mind. Um, You know, uh, pain can be either um, uh, something that um, uh, binds us or something that frees us, depending on our attitude. We can find our freedom through pain. And uh, when we um, avoid it or when we um, close down on it, 
uh, it causes us suffering. But when we can open up, uh, it, we find our freedom there. Otherwise, you can't sit in zazen. Unless you can find your freedom through the pain, uh, you can't sit for very long. So it's a way of helping us to open. Life itself is painful. It's also pleasurable. But pain doesn't have anything to do with pleasure or displeasure. Simply our mind has to do with pleasure and displeasure. Our attitudes have to do with pleasure and displeasure. Pain itself is simply uh, a feeling. But how our mind works causes us um, problems. Then, it is a very interesting one. He says, when the outcome proves disappointing, I vow with all beings to look again at my purpose. Was it Dharma or something else? (laughs) What did I expect anyway? Um, The world of uh, the karmic world, we have expectations. In the Dharmic world, we don't have much expectation. In the, in the uh, uh, karmic world, we want returns for our effort. It's called investment. <laughs> we put in so much work, and we want so much return. In the dharmic world, we just do the work. That's all. Without any expectation. If you have expectation, it's still in the karmic world. Someone yesterday said, oh, you're a Zen abbot? What's a Zen abbot? And and how do you get to be a Zen abbot? (laughs) Uh, I said, "Um, you don't have any expectations. When when my head is a turmoil of trivia, I vow with all beings to relax in good-humored patience as I would with a mischievous child. When I am amused by thoughts in zazen, I vow with all beings to wave them through with a smile and not allow them out the door, and not follow them out the door. Um, I remember Suzuki Roshi used to say... um, about the thoughts in our head. People would always complain about, I have so many thoughts in Zazen. You know, my mind is all full of blah, blah, blah. And he say, um, well, with the thoughts in Zazen, you invite them in, but don't serve them tea. 
when a demon disrupts my zazen, I vow with all beings to explain, I'm busy right now. We'll work things out later. <laughs> so if, if you have any questions or would like to ask anything, I'd be happy to um, respond to your question. When things are an absolute mess, I vow with all beings to walk to the park with the children and play games of the unchanging Tao. When the law of the sandbox is broken, I vow with all beings to refer the case to the magistrate who teaches infants the Tao. When when emptiness worries a student, I vow with all beings to suggest that if everything is empty, there's nothing to worry about. Um, When I argue with someone I love, I vow with all beings to use this potent conjunction for clearing our our common ground. And when dissension comes up in the family, I vow with all beings to suggest we get in our loving. Who knows if we'll be here next week? Um, This is interesting about the bomb. If the bomb goes up after all, I vow with all beings to remember my mother's assurance. Never you mind, it's all right. If the bomb goes up at last, I vow with all beings to relinquish even the earth to the unborn where all belong. Regarding national interest, I vow with all beings to show how conventional wisdom is not always common sense. Hmm. When nations take their revenge, I vow with all beings to suggest that revenge springs from anguish. Perhaps we created that pain. With tropical forests in danger, I vow with all beings to raise hell with the people responsible and slash my consumption of trees. This is very interesting about anger, you know. We don't want anger. I mean, we want to be able to control anger. And anger is like fire, like a big... uh, It can be like a um, uh, huge, consuming demon. And so we have to be able to control fire. But fire is like, you know, an important element. So uh, without fire, there's no... Um, uh, activity, but if we, uh, when we uh, cook something, we put it on the stove and control the fire, right? So we put it on, we raise it up at first and then turn it down to simmer. So this is like our emotions and our feelings are like fire, and if we simply just let them burn, they'll just 
destroy us as well as that which we are uh, angry at. Anger is like fire. So how do we bring down uh, the fire so that it serves us and doesn't uh, uh, destroy everything? And in anger uh, uh, at uh, various situations like our present situation, in uh, uh, the world situation, it's hard not to be angry uh, moment to moment. How do we control that anger? How do we take care of that so that we transform the anger into something useful? Anger, uh, uh, just like fire, can be transformed um, when the temperature is right and when um, we have con- actually have control of it. Anger itself is not bad. Uh, anger can be a motivating force. I think if people don't feel some anger, there's something wrong. But uh, either if we don't control anger, then anger controls us. So point of you know not being angry is mostly not to be controlled by emotions by and by this very strong emotion so anger can be transformed into uh, beneficial action by knowing how to use it uh, and not letting it get out of hand uh, the, one of the problems with the peace movement often is um, uh, the anger and, and uh, resentment that comes up and fear um, uh, boils over and uh, um, creates a worse situation or a bad situation. So anger can actually be turned, uh, transformed into beneficial action to work for peace or to work for, I don't even know if peace is the right word, uh, um, eliminating uh, greed, ill will, and delusion, actually. Never mind peace. And anger can be... Uh, transformed into beneficial action by uh, using it for education, to educate people and to inform people. So we can have a gata. Uh, I vow with all sentient beings to um, turn this anger toward the transformation into beneficial action. That's something that we can, a gata that we can use continuously because anger is continuously arising. So this is the story of gatas. I think it's just about the right time, huh? Thank you.